Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Hey gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. Hey guys, my guest with me today is Chuck Ellis. He's a husband and a dog dad living in central Pennsylvania. Over the last five plus years, he has become obsessed with personal growth and development and marketing. His mission is to help other men in their 40s and 50s who feel past their prime or unfulfilled find out what gets them up and excited every morning. He wants to show them that it's never too late to evolve and that Gen X men are still only at halftime. Chuck, happy to have you on, man. How are you doing today? Thank you, Nick. It's it's great to be here with you. Fantastic, man. So uh, just before we get started and, you know, get into the deep dive here, I just want to let the audience know that I have been, I know it's a bad word, but trolling social <laughs> media, <laughs> looking for people that are putting out like hard hitting, moving uh, content and topics and discussions on personal growth and development. And there's uh, a lot of stuff out there but I really try to hold on to stuff that like captivates me and captures my attention. And I came across some of your posts and some of your media. And I thought, you know what, man, I'm going to reach out to this guy. I'm sure he's got a story to share and he's got some knowledge to put down and stuff. And of course I reached out to you and you graced us, me and the apex masculinity audience by being able to come on today. I'm very grateful for that. But um, why don't you just take the floor and kind of just take us back to uh, through your past and where you are today and incorporate this wake-up call, this aha moment where you realized it was kind of time for change, uh, pulling out of the of the normalcy, taking the red or the blue pill, like in that movie Matrix, so to speak, yes. and deciding to create your own destiny and what that looked like. Please. So, you know, I've been thinking about this in anticipation of us getting together today. And I think even though I didn't really take action in the beginning, um, I think the seeds of this were kind of sown uh, when my dad died um, young. And when I say young, I'm, I'm not talking like when I was a teenager, but I mean, for me, young, because he was only 62. And I look at where I am now, and that's not too far away. Mm -hmm. And what I saw was a guy who for a while there was really, was really chasing and actually achieving his dreams, um, you know, of being independent and kind of breaking free of the mold of being dependent on other people. And then I saw sickness kind of overtake him. And then I just kind of watched him wither away and die. All he really did was hang on long enough to walk my sister down the aisle. And by that time, he was a shell of himself. And within six months after walking my sister down the aisle, um, he was gone. And he was only 62. And, you know, we're going on, I guess it'll be 15 years this year um, since that happened. 15, no, 16, I'm sorry. And he, um, you know, it was just one of the things that I saw when I went to his funeral was he had impacted so many people and I didn't feel like I was anywhere near that. 
um, at, at that age. And we're, we're talking back in um, uh, 2009 is when he died. So actually, I don't think it was, yeah, it was 14 years, but, or, or I'm sorry, 13, my math's terrible. But it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, what have I really done? What kind of impact have I really made? And because I don't have children, my wife and I um, are, are not, or did not have kids. I'm like, you know, what am I really leaving on this earth? And I, I became just kind of, a, you know, kind of obsessed with trying to figure out where, where my mark was going to be made. Um, and I, I think if I can really trace that back, that's, that's kind of where this whole process started. Yeah. But you know, I was what I think is becoming the, the typical story of somebody who's gone through six careers, um, 15 jobs in his lifetime. And I could just, I could just never find satisfaction long-term with any of them. And, um, and so I just, I, I tried to find different ways that, that I could, you know, maybe make an impact. And, um, so, so that's what I really started to do. And, and I realized before I could make an impact, I had to change myself. I, I really had to evolve. I had to become a better version of myself. And I think that's one of the things that, um, that I've really tried to do. Um, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up this whole thing by, uh, there's a quote by a guy named Ed Milet. Um, who, if uh, your audience has not listened to him, jump on his podcast. It's one of the most, um, one of the most listened to and watched podcasts uh, in the world. And Ed uh, kind of crystallized my thoughts when he talks about getting to the end of his life and having God introduce him to who he could have been. And he wants that person to be his best friend, not a total stranger. And I knew that if I didn't really start delving into becoming a better version of myself, that I was going to be a total stranger to that person. And, you know, um, I think it was Dale Carnegie who said, you know, the, the worst regret that somebody can have is realizing they didn't meet their potential. So, yeah, yeah. no, I like that, bro. I'm going to be writing things down, like little questions that come to my mind as we're discussing stuff just because I love to go way deep and like unpack things. But one thing you mentioned there about your father's passing and seeing all those people at the funeral and realizing, wow, this man had great impact in other people's lives. Uh, a, a really good friend of mine, just about two weeks ago, uh, we grew up in El Paso, Texas together and life and times and marriage and you know school and work and different things separated us. He ended up being in Washington state. And of course I'm here in North Dakota and we were communicating you know, a couple times a year, just catching up and stuff. And I opened up Facebook the other day and find out that this man who's got uh, a teenage daughter was, was gunned down in the streets. And you know, I was just blown away. Like he was there and then he was gone, you know, and his Facebook page is now turned into a memorial page where all of these people are like chiming in on memories and things. And I got a little brave when I wrote something on his memorial because him and I still share lots of friends from those not better version of ourselves years that are still mm -hmm. stuck in the cycle of drugs and alcohol and in and out of like um, jail and in and out of like assisted, I don't know, not assisted, but residential rehab homes and stuff like that. And I put on there, you know, let this guy's life 
and 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 the transformation of where he was to what he became inspired you, you know, to start making changes yourself. I also was wondering if you think that's just something I wanted to mention, but I was wondering if you think that a calling or a desire to impact others is naturally in us because it, it it was at that funeral where you said, what have I done? What impact have I had? You know what I mean? And sometimes it takes a shock therapy moment like that, like a funeral or something to get us thinking that way. Do you think a lot of men even think along those lines these days? I don't think so, because I think so many of us are sleepwalking through life. Right. Um, we're, we're not living intentionally. You know, we're we're just kind of going through the motions and, and we're we're working for whoever we work for and we're earning a paycheck and then we're paying our bills and and we're looking forward to maybe two weeks of vacation a year. And, and that's just kind of how we're operating our lives. And mm-hmm. and I began over the last five or six years to be introduced to people who don't live that way. And actually people that were much younger than me who don't live that way. And growing up, when I grew up, grew up, that's what you did. You, you went to college, you got a degree, you know, at least in the circle that I lived in, you went to college, you got a degree, you got a job and you went to work. And I became more and more dissatisfied with that life because it wasn't working out for me. And then I just started to explore other ways to live and, and other things to focus on and and other goals to pursue. And I, it's like it, you know, it's like it opened my eyes to a, to a whole way. You know, it was like that red blue pill. It's like you, you open yourself up to other options and you realize that, you know, you don't have to do it the way everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. Let me ask you this though, being from that, see, I'm 43. I'm going to mm-hmm. assume you're late, either late forties or, or early fifties, early fifties. Yep. Okay. 54. So coming out of that generation, so my grandfather was that way. Out of high school, he went to work in a warehouse for a paint factory and retired from that factory 50 years later. He was like stocking cans of paint on pallets. And by the end of it, like he was like the warehouse manager, got his pension and that was it. Like that was his life. And that was the norm for people back then. And no one cared about your personal desires. Like go to work. You know what I mean? Provide right. for your family. You know what I mean? 2.5 cars, a vacation once a year, if you're lucky, kind of a thing. Did you go through any, because I deal with this and I just want to see if anybody else does. Did you go through any personal guilt, a feeling of guilt in the beginning for having desires to live your life a different way and pursue different goals that were quote unquote out of the norm or out of the box and like wanting to do things for yourself? Is there any guilt with that? I think in I think in the very beginning there was some of that, but I think more of that came out of not having a sense of self worth, okay. not really having much self confidence, not feeling that I, I had anything to offer anybody mm-hmm. outside of you know what I was already doing, um, you know because I I where this whole thing started for me is um, I got very dissatisfied in my, my second government career. And, um, and it was just, it was an administrative job. I mean, it was the, it was the, it was the epitome of, 
of living in that maze that you know that cubicle lifestyle and that's all i'd really ever done had been office jobs and somewhat out of a desire to provide more income for my family but a lot of it out to just break that routine all of a sudden at the age of 46 with no prior experience i said and i know this is what we share in common from our previous phone call is i'm going to jump in the oil field you know, it was, it was a very popular way to make more money sure. um, in this area because we didn't have a lot of opportunities like that uh, for, I don't live in a large, uh, a large geographic area with, with tons of employers offering lots of, you know, um, high paying jobs. And so really out of more than anything is I just wanted to provide more than I had been able to provide for my family, which was a, a paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. Um, and so I, uh, and so I just decided out of the blue, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, although, although it helped break me out of the routine, you know, I just consider it a step along the way. I don't consider it a failure, but I do consider it a step along the way because I just realized that wasn't for me. And I think more than anything, what it did is it let me it let me realize that it's easy to get stuck, whether it's trapped in, um, you know, where it's trapped in a, in a career that really only satisfies money, because that's all I really saw in, the, in that. And, and I know different people are different. But mm-hmm. what I saw is I saw people who defined themselves for what they did for a living. And they lived in this cyclical lifestyle where it was like, you know, make a lot of this money. Um, but not really enjoy what you're doing because everybody would start the day the same way. It's like, Hey, how you doing? Living the dream, which, you know, we all know is crap. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not, I'm sorry. It's not living the dream. You know, mm-hmm. the, the dream is the money that it provides a lifestyle. But I, I realized too, that it provided a lifestyle more for the family rather than the person who was making the money. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and like I say, I'm not denigrating anybody who does it, mm-hmm. but for me, I mean, yes, it did that. But then after two layoffs, I was like, you know what, this is not sustainable for me. And I knew that it was a young man's game. I was already much older than most people that were doing that, yeah. but I, more so than anything, I credit it with waking me up to long-term. And if you want to live differently than other people, you're going to have to start thinking differently. And you're going to have to start breaking out of that mold of what you, you know, just the way you used to think, um, you know, the, the things that you used to do and, and how you used to live. And I got more into intentionally trying to figure out really what was going to make me happy. And um, the, the biggest thing that I came across is becoming just a better version of me, thinking differently. There's, there's a quote I heard recently, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but I heard it, um, I think I heard it on a podcast, and it said, if you're not changing the way you think every couple months or every six months or at least once every year, if, if that's not evolving and, and you're not realizing that the way you used to think is probably not necessarily wrong, but different, then, mm-hmm. then you're not doing enough to develop you. Because I have, that's what's happened with me over the last five years. I mean, I'm, 
was like, okay, this is the way I want to do this. And it was like, well, well, maybe not. You know, it's like, I, I used to think that um, regret was a, was a horrible thing. And, and now the more that I delve into that, regret's okay. Because yeah. regret is what propels you forward. So mm-hmm. you don't stay in that cycle. So yeah. you can't, you can't just forget what happened in your past because it is what it is what shapes you um and so all these all these what some people would call failure careers that that did that I did not sustain I don't consider them failures I consider them steps along the way that got me to where I am which is on the verge of taking complete control of my own life and and us being able to move and you know and and living you know debt free and and all of these things so it was good it was fine and I think if you can get to that point in your life where you don't look at things you know, because you can't necessarily control what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. Absolutely. Um, and That's so the, the whole thing, too, is life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. You know, there because I look back now at where we're headed and I look back at jobs that I may have applied for and I, I never got because I've got a broadcasting degree from the University of Central Florida other than maybe. In, in some ways, the content that I produce, I don't use that broadcasting degree. Now, I could look at that as a failure, or I could look at that as like all these strings of things that kind of came together. But, you know, this lack of uh, acquisition of a job, this put me to this step, and then this step got me to this step, and this step, you know, and now I look at the path where we're headed, and I was like, I would never want to do what I thought was my, my old goal because it wouldn't allow me to live the way that I want to live. And I would be so busy trying to fulfill that career and meet someone else's expectations that I wouldn't even focus on developing myself. And that's more so than anything else. And I, I, I did a video on, on TikTok because that's kind of like my main platform now because uh, it seems to gather the most reach and have the most impact. And I did this. The thing that gives me energy every single day is knowing that I'm constantly in a state of learning. You know, <laughs> one of the things that I used to take pride in is that I quit learning after uh, after college. Mm-hmm. You know, I quit I quit uh, taking either courses or um, or learning new skills and things like that. And that's mm-hmm. what had gotten me to where I was, which was. $60,000 in debt, hating my life on a daily basis, not feeling like that I mattered or that I had any self-worth or that I had anything relevant to offer this world other than, you know, a guy who went to work and came home and, you know, kind of just lived that normal life. But now I've become obsessed with spending more time in education than entertainment. I've become obsessed with, you know, if it doesn't propel me toward my ultimate goal, um, it's, it's not where I'm, you know, where I'm steering my focus. And um, so, you know, long story short, that's, that's kind of where, where I've gotten to at this point. Okay. Before we jump into what you're doing now, because I'm sure everybody's interest is really peaked. And we talked about it briefly. So I kind of, I'm a leg up on where this is going to go. But as you were speaking, there are some things jumped out on me and like, I'm going to go over kind of what I'm getting out of this. As you were speaking, you said that 
it was good for you to step down because most people would say government job, cushy pension, retirement, benefits, all this stuff. But you were waking up every day feeling unfulfilled, unsatisfied, feeling like you were having no impact. And it was like almost scratching like nails on a chalkboard at your core. And something deep within you was calling to the deep of something else, of what you could be, what you wanted to do, where the impact was, where the fulfillment and the happiness was. And when you stepped out of that job and went into the oil field, I believe it was a step to break the comfort zone. I think, I feel like a lot of guys are stuck in their comfort zone. They don't want to take the risk. This is what I know. We just got to figure out how to make this work. And they will get to the end of their lives wishing they would have taken that chance. And even if it doesn't work out, like you said, you were in the old field for 15 years and the money was good. I mean, you didn't- Well, 15 months, actually. Oh, that's right. 15 months. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah 15 yeah. months. And the money was good. You didn't really lose anything, but you discovered that that wasn't the path that you wanted for yourself. But what you learned from that also was anybody can take a risk and change the canvas of their life at any time. Nothing is unrecoverable, so to speak. Right. You know what I mean? No doubt. And you also mentioned in there that these guys that work, and I'm not being, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not being confrontational when I ask this. I'm more asking for just my own understanding to deepen on what you meant by this, but you said that these guys seem to be the type of men that were defined by their labor. How do you believe a person should be defined? Because I guess I'm kind of slightly old school in my thinking that a part of my identity as a man is tied to my labor. Now, not all of it is, because sure. you know, sure. I'm a father and I'm, you know, I'm an author and I'm uh, personal growth and development connoisseur. And, uh, you know, I, I create material that way, just like you do and stuff like that. But how would you say a man should be defined? Uh, for me, and I think I've become, like I said, I be, because I don't have kids, so I don't really have anything to pass on to, you know, a lineage or a, a legacy of my family. I'm, you know, I'm going to be the last generation of my family as far as you know as far as males or females are, are concerned we're it and you know my it's it's odd because my sister has also um decided not to have children she got married later and, and she decided not to have kids and my brother um is also i believe at least at this point in his life he's 10 years younger than me but he's also decided not to have so we're it you know, there will be no more Ellis's from this lineage. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and I don't even think I realized it at the time, but the more I, I get introspective, you know, I still want there to be something of me that lives on in other people. And right. so um, I've, I've become more concerned with, um, with, with leaving something to other people that can positively impact them. Okay, so One of the man. things that my wife and I have done is uh, we began sponsoring, since we don't have kids of our own, we mm -hmm. began sponsoring children um, through a charity that we became um, hooked up with where mm -hmm. we, we sponsored them to, to hopefully give them a leg up and hopefully let them know that, that somebody cares about them in Honduras. And then we also had the opportunity. I tell you, if you really want to get a gut check about what is important in life, how really good any of us here in, you know, a first world country like America, we always talk about first world problems. If you want 
to to really understand how surface of a life that that we live and how little we have to complain about go go to a third world country did you because i we did yeah we yeah. we did a uh, we did a mission trip three years ago um well actually it'll be four years this coming uh, october and you know, I'm not really, my wife likes to call me the, the uh, you know, the man of stone, because other than the day that we got married, I, I don't really, I didn't really cry that much, mm -hmm. but I became so overwhelmed with people who were so grateful for the life that they had, and they didn't even have a tenth of what we have, mm -hmm. and you know, they were grateful that we would travel 1,200 miles to come see them. They were grateful because they had the love of the Lord, and that was the light of their life, you know, they weren't worried about material things. They, they weren't worried about the same things. And there was a part of me that wanted to stay there because the things that are focused on, the mm -hmm. things that are valued in a country like that, that has so much less than we do, yeah. um, you know, is just, it's a completely different way to, to live your life. And just the the gratitude that they can come at from every single day mm -hmm. you know and then and then the stuff that i was complaining about it was interesting one of the first nights that we went we went to the, they're called care points because the the uh, the charity that we work with is called childrenscup.org mm -hmm. um and basically for like 40 bucks a month you can help a kid with their spiritual needs, their educational needs, and like the materials they need, you know, to, to get, uh, to get education, um, and, and some of their medical needs and just having a safe place. Cause most people don't know. And I, I, I wasn't aware of this. Honduras is heavily controlled by gangs. Right. Um, one of the, one of the kids that we used to, um, that we used to sponsor, um, had to actually be relocated because gangs had come in and basically taken over his home and, and treated his family horribly and, um, you know, and just did unspeakable things to his family. And this charity had to move that family to another location. And mm -hmm. so we've lost track of them because we're, we're not allowed to stay in touch with them anymore, sure. you know, for their safety. But, you know, you think about people who live that type of existence and then I would go back to uh, a hotel at the end of our day of spending time with these kids at this mission. And I was tempted for a very short period of time because our water wasn't that hot in my shower, you know, and we've got running water and we've got these, you know, we've got these amazing luxuries. And it's like, it's like Gary V says, if you wake up with running water and electricity, you're better off than 85% of the entire world. Yeah. So quit complaining, find things that you can be grateful for, mm -hmm. and then just try to try to get other people to do that. Because I think that's been one of my my biggest shifts is rather than complaining about what I don't have, I focused on what I do have. And it's a whole hell of a lot. So it's, oh, it's made good. me just a much happier person when I look at it from that standpoint. Yeah, it's, it's really good, bro, because we can get so like, you know, in our routine, you know, that we start complaining. We had a blizzard here a couple of weeks ago and the power was out for like a day and a half. And, you know, like this whole town was just miserable or whatever. But um, yeah, I intend, I've got my passport and I'm going to get a passport for my 12 year old son here in the very near future. And I totally intend on taking him places like that, you know, to go get some perspective on life. One thing you had mentioned when you were talking about regret, 
um, that for making choices, whether it's a jobs a job switch or maybe uh, maybe an epic blowout like in character or just you know um, I don't know just the different things that happened in life that would give cause for regret. You had said something to the effect that you were now harnessing those negative emotions to build a better future for yourself rather than getting stuck in regret and letting it hinder and stagnate you. You are now using regret to be a learning tool, right? For sure. For a better future. I really like that, bro. I really like that. Well, you know, you you have to find you have to find some meaning, I think, in everything that happens to you. And you know, or or happens for you, because again, like I said, I believe that life happens for us, not to us. And I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a faith-based belief or if it's just, um, if it's, if it's just a belief that makes it easier to handle the difficulties and the obstacles that you're going to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a little part of both, um, because I do believe, um, as a faith-based person, I believe that God has a plan for all of us. And, you know, at, at the end of it, it's his, it's for his glorification. Um, and so I believe that, that what I've been called to do is, is to wake up people that are my age. Cause like I said, you know, I, I've delved a lot into what's coming in the future and I, and I, people don't really think this way. Cause I think people are so caught in the day to day that they don't have an intention for what they're going to do, but you know, we're going to live a lot longer. Uh, I don't, I don't think people realize the, the amount of advances that are coming and what it's going to do to health and our lives and the length of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've heard plenty of podcasts from futurists and, you know, they're saying it's going to be very routine to live to a hundred. So if you're living to a hundred and right now we consider 70 to 80 to be end of life. And if we're going to live to a hundred, that's another 30 years what are you going to do with your life for the next 30 years? You know, or, you know, because you're, you're going to have to figure out something to do mm-hmm. and why, you know, and that's why I've, I've come to believe that, you know, even for somebody in my fifties, I still consider myself at halftime now. And, you know, the first half wasn't the greatest, but it's, it's not, it's not about that. It's about the adjustments you make at halftime to make the second half your best half. Yeah. And so that's what I've done. And um, I've kind of I've kind of taken off the watch of of regret and, and the mistakes I've made in the past. And I've started to look forward to, OK, these are the lessons I can learn. This is how I can improve in the future. And this is what life's going to be like going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like I said, you have to learn from that stuff. But at the same time, f- focus more. You know, the past doesn't need you. Your, your present needs you, and more importantly, your future needs you. That's where your focus ought to be. Um, and, and like I said, so many people are going through the motions that they're not even thinking about the future. And I think that's where people get bogged down and they get stuck in their life. They don't have anything to look forward to. You know, right. they don't have anything that they're chasing. And it's not even necessarily the the attainment of what you're chasing it's who you become when you're chasing it yeah you know i i know it's cliche but it it's not the destination it's the journey it's who you become along the way yeah. and you know i'm 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 nowhere near a finished product 
but I almost don't even recognize the guy that's talking to you now from the guy who, you know, who existed five years ago, just because I have done so much to try to A, be humble and realize I don't know everything. And, you know, th there's really nothing more humble than realizing that there are people that control their own destinies and they're 20 years younger than you because they learned lessons that you should have learned 20 years ago. I know, and I know. <laughs> you're late to the party. You know, I, you and I are both, you know, we're, we're kind of late to the party, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, not everybody reaches that. And I think in the beginning, I was like, God, I wasted so much time. Right. But look how much time is still to go. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things is, it's okay to acknowledge what you haven't accomplished, but if you throw in one single word, it will change your whole perspective. And that's yet, yeah. you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't reached my full potential yet, because if you throw yet in there, there's still possibilities for the future. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, man. Um, So Chuck, let me ask you this. So let's say there's guys, whether they're in their 20s or they're our age, 40s, 50s, and they're getting to a place where they're having this dissatisfaction, like they've been going through the humdrum of life for decades. And they're getting to the point where they're ready to take the red pill. You know what I mean? And they're ready to get out, but they're, they're not ready. They're, they're risk averse people. Um, they don't know where to start. They don't know what they could do. They feel like, you know, I've been in this craft or this trade for so long. How could I ever think to learn something new or do something new or try something new? Um, is there going to be pain associated with this? How am I going to do on the learning curve? Um, am I going to be able to take care of my you know, financial responsibilities and all these questions that we get flooded with when we start having this conversation with ourselves? What would you say, two-part question, to guys um, that are ready to make the jump, but there's risk, they're risk averse and how to overcome that. But second half of the question is, how do they find out what it is that they want to do? Man, that, that part of it is a really loaded question because that's gonna be so different for everybody. Okay. Um, you know, my my awakening awakening has come out of a desire for independence and um number one to, to kind of go back to the first part of your question yes it, it will it will be painful if you're risk averse but if you think about it everything that is great has has come from people who decided not to listen to everybody who told them to be risk averse right but 99 times out of 100, when you take a risk, even if you fail, it's not fatal. You know, it's like that old, uh, that old quote from, uh, what was it, The Hangover Part Two, when uh, Mr. Chow says, but did you die? No, you don't. Right. But everybody's biggest fear is either A, fear of failure, or fear of success. Because you know, if you think about it, when we're born, we're only we're only we're only born with a couple of feel of, of uh, fears. You know, one of them's like fear of falling. And but the other one is not fear of failure. When you're a kid or, or when you're a newborn, you don't care. You don't even think about failure. You just, you know, think about kids as they're learning to walk. 
they don't fall down once and say, oh, I'm never going to try that again. But failure and the fear of failure is born the older we get. And I heard, I heard it described very interestingly. It's not, we're not afraid of failure. We're afraid of other people seeing us fail. Yeah. Because we're all so worried about what everybody else thinks. Yeah. And A, what they think doesn't matter because it has no bearing on your daily life. And two, they're not thinking about you anyway, because everybody's favorite subject and their favorite radio station is W, what is it? Uh, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? That's all anybody else is concerned with. So who cares what other people think? It doesn't pay your bills. It doesn't allow you to live the lifestyle that you want to live or the life that you want to live. And failure is part of the deal. And that, I think that's one of the things that's been really eye-opening for me as I've studied, because I think that's one of the things that I've become kind of obsessed with. If I'm going to watch something a lot of the times, I'm going to pull the lessons out of it. Even if it's a comedy or something, I'm going to pull the lessons out of it that let me know that, okay, there was failure along the way. Like I've been in the process of watching um, this totally satirized version but it's um, a futile and stupid gesture and it's, a, it's on Netflix. Um, and on the surface, it would seem to be um, just a, you know, an, an inane comedy, but it was the story of Doug Kenny and, um, and his partner, Henry, and I don't remember Henry's last name, but they decided rather than go to law school, which is what people who went to Harvard and got their bachelor's degree in is they would move into a master's program and, and try to go to law school they decided 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 to start a national humor magazine and they went to major publishers who said this is the stupidest idea ever you know this is dumb this will never work and then they finally went to one publisher and they uh and they convinced him based on their enthusiasm and their belief and then in the fact that there was a market for this. And that's how National Lampoon's magazine was born, okay. you know, and it's, but I mean, they struggle in the early years and then they found a foothold because they had faith and, you know, and they didn't, they, he said, you know, the world doesn't need another insurance adjuster. The world doesn't need another lawyer. You know, mm. the world doesn't need another person sitting behind a desk and following the, you know, following the herd. And, um, and so that's what they did. And, and that's kind of how I come at these, almost anything that I consume media wise these days, I'm always looking for that lesson. Now, mm. one of my favorite things to do now is to watch documentaries and learn people's success process, learned where they failed and, and realize that if you're going to risk and do something big and do something great, failure is just part of the process and it's the majority of the process. And if you can get okay with that and learn the lessons along the way, because that's what, that's what my story is going to be. My story is going to be this dude followed the herd for 30 years and this dude got his degree that he doesn't even use. And this guy, you know, got himself into debt and this guy, you know, just decided along the way at a point you become dissatisfied with subjugating what you want in life for for somebody else and um not that it applies to everybody but i've certainly come to believe that you're either building your own dreams or you're building somebody else's Absolutely. and i got sick of building other people's dreams mm -hmm. 
you know, I got sick of be, becoming that guy. And um, so I just, I just decided that, you know what? Yeah, you're late to this game, but everybody has a story and everybody has a unique perspective that they can bring. Mm-hmm. And if you are willing to be out there and vocal and, and share your journey with other people, that's where you can make your impact. Nobody's perfect. No, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, I didn't screw up my life in six months. So I don't expect to, I didn't expect to fix my life in six months. I screwed up my life and got to a point where I was dissatisfied over 30 years, right. you know, 30 years of being an adult and, yeah. and realizing that so much of what we do is indoctrination. It's, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the, it's the result of being told this is what you're supposed to do and being so averse to break outside of that. Um, you know, I've got a college degree, but I've become actually very anti-college um, for a number of reasons. Number one is in my mind, and people are certainly um, welcome to disagree with this, but in my mind, all college does is teach you how to finish something, mm-hmm. which I guess there's, there's a certain aspect of that, which is good, but then it teaches you how to be obedient and how to go work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the exception of, I've heard of there's some entrepreneurial classes being taught in college these days, which is great um, mm-hmm. because I, I believe that that's necessary. But for the most part, that's not, that's not what's being taught. You're mm-hmm. learning, you're getting just enough knowledge that you can go prove that you have that knowledge and go work for somebody else. And I think what you do at that point is you subjugate your value to other people and you subjugate your priorities in life to other people. And because that's one of the things I found out about um, the oil field for me was it's a 24-7, 365 deal. And they don't care if your kid's birthday is tomorrow. If you're scheduled for the shift, you know, my, it's my kid's birthday. That's not a good enough reason for them. So you've subjugated your priorities and your family's priorities for somebody else's all for the sake of a paycheck. Yeah. And I got, I became very dissatisfied with that way to live. Um, you know, I wanted to stay longer when my dad's funeral was there because, um, I wanted to be able to take some of the burden off my sister because she was the only one that was local and she ended up planning my dad's whole wet, a whole funeral because mm-hmm. I couldn't get off work. You know, I didn't have enough time built up in my time bank that I could prioritize what was important to me as opposed to what was important to somebody else. And I just became very dissatisfied with living that way of life. And uh, all of a sudden it was just this wake up call one day that, you know, you don't have to live the way that everybody else. And I find that the people who are much happier Mm. is the people who decide to live the way they want to live and and don't have to do it the way that everybody else says you have to do it. And that's different for everybody. So I'm so glad that you're on the podcast, bro. And I'm going to tell you why, because I have more episodes that I'd care to admit where um, I'm ranting and raving about this burdensome taskmaster known as the oil fields of North Dakota, right? And uh, I've mentioned out there, you know, like I tell people that it's like uh, it's like being married to a hateful woman. You know what I mean? Like she'll take care of you, but she's brutal sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. negative, negative forty degree temperatures, and just like you said. Um, you know, I work for a decent outfit where you can get time off, but like, I also know that 
large portions of this industry because it's multifaceted. Sure. Um, it doesn't honor, you know, anniversaries and birthdays and these different no. things. And I, I, we got a longstanding joke up here in North Dakota where uh, the only holiday that 50 to 60 percent of this oil field shuts down for is the Sturgis bike rally. <laughs> no, you can't find a, you can't find a company man or a consultant anywhere. Right? Yeah, and if they're oh, not wow. working, nobody else is working too. But yeah, man, and I've I've talked with my wife about doing something different. And dude, if I'm gonna be honest, Chuck, uh, and I man, I hitchhiked to Alaska for the first time when I was 19 to go work on fishing boats and fishing canneries. Oh wow! I have always considered myself to not be risk averse but i think right. now that i'm not some 19 year old kid with a backpack and i've got a mortgage and i've got kids and i've got private school and i've got all this stuff that i'm kind of responsible for i kind of think those things out a little bit more and i get to this place where i'm like is there a way then this is going to lead into my next question so is there a way that i can do the grind and work for the man so to speak but build another life almost like a dr jekyll and mr hyde kind of you know um grinding oil field worker by day avid podcaster and author of personal growth and development books by you night totally can i don't mean to interrupt you but you oh. totally can i i mean that's you, <clears throat> i i think in the beginning especially if you have gotten into the the daily grind and if you have family and you know my situation is a little different. My wife and I don't. So we have a lot more freedom that the decisions that we make don't necessarily impact anybody else. Sure. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're both that way. I mean, she also works in government. Um, she's the one who hasn't escaped yet. She's about to, but she hasn't escaped yet. And, um, you know, I walked, I walked away from something that could have given me a decent retirement. Um, mm. And she's going to walk away many years early from something that could give her a decent retirement. But, you know, a lot of the things that we end up doing are based on the expectations of our parents. Right. Um, her parents were both 30 year teachers. And so they always drilled it in her head, you know, go get your, go get your teaching certificate and, and get into this nice stable job. And you were talking about where people could do that for 50 years. But what I want to impress upon people is that we are on the verge of such a revolution when it comes to work mm -hmm. because technology is advancing at such a rate that I personally have heard this and I believe this wholeheartedly, up to 45% of current careers will no longer exist inside of 10 years because they will be replaced by artificial intelligence, technology advances and automation. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's alarmist and, and that's ridiculous. Okay. How does, how'd that work for Blockbuster? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't stay up with the times. Mm -hmm. um, how did that work for, I, I saw the other day where um, somebody was shown to their seat in a restaurant and I think it was a Chili's or a Ruby Tuesdays. I can't remember which they were shown to their seat by an automated uh, hostess. Wow. You know, and if you think about, you know, and the, there's all this, you know, raise the minimum wage and do this and do that. And it's like, these jobs are gonna be replaced. Mm -hmm. And so people need to be ready to evolve. Yeah. You know, anything that could be replaced 
and you know, we always used to think, well, computers can't think. Well, now computers can think, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just people have got to be able to adapt. Yeah. And, you know, we I think we talked about this before on our on our pre-call uh, or our pre-interview call. Man, teachers don't even know what's about to hit them. The education industry is about to be completely flipped upside down mm -hmm. because, again, the technology is in place and now people are getting to the point they would prefer to learn digitally. They would prefer to learn online. So what kind of ramifications does that have? Well, there's gonna be less need for on-campus colleges. And again, it all comes down to the mighty dollar. If a college can save money by not needing some big campus and lots of overhead, lots of infrastructure, and they can still provide the services and they can do it, they don't care about your 30-year tenured teaching position. They don't, that is not their concern, that it's not their priority. Their concern is the almighty dollar. So build a well before you need the water. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind of my big thing uh, because I didn't heed that advice for 30 years and that's why I got laid off several times. And that's why, you know, I, I found myself in a situation begging for jobs when I was in my, you know, late forties, early fifties. And for me, that was one of the lowest points. You know, you're being interviewed by somebody who's 20 years younger than you or something like that. And you just, to me, there is nothing that is more disheartening than to basically go out there and beg somebody to see your worth yeah. rather than being able to determine for, for yourself. And so that's, that's kind of where, um, you know, that's kind of where my dissatisfaction with the matrix, if you want to call it that, sure. came mm -hmm. from. But people need to be aware that we're, we're undergoing a huge revolution mm -hmm. and people have to be adaptable and they have to realize the, even if they love what they do, they better have a backup plan because you have no idea how technology is going to impact your industry. Oh. You know, whether it, uh, um, one of my big things is, um, is the financial industry. Anything, anything that could in future be done by a computer, whether it's, you know, financial analysts or things like that, you know, again, it's a bottom line thing. If they can do it cheaper or they can do it without employees that they don't have to pay health benefits and they don't have to pay retirement and they don't have to do that. And that's not a doomsday thing that actually can open up opportunities for people. So that's kind of like my, my thing is, um, you know, you have to be, you have to be not only open to change, you have to be, you have to expect change because that's really the only thing that we can depend on is change. Um, everything that's being done now will be done differently and better in the future. And if that's the case, if people aren't adaptable and they get too stuck up, they get too stuck in what they do now, you know, that's, that's where I see these, these oil field guys, um, you know, the, the guys out in the field, they are so defined by what they do. I think they will struggle mightily when technology comes along and replaces what they do. Sure. You know, um, or, or like I said, or, or teachers or, or any other, any number of professions, because you can go online right now and you can say jobs that will no longer exist by the year, uh, by the year 2030. And you can see lists upon lists of this is going to be replaced and this is going to be replaced. And this is, so what are these people going to do? If they have not learned any other skills, if they have not learned any other fields, 
-hmm. where they can apply existing knowledge or learn some new things that they can provide um, to the to the marketplace, they're going to be in a world of hurt. And it's and it's also going to deeply affect them mentally because their identity will have been completely taken away because they've wrapped up their identity too much in who they are today. Yeah, no, it kind of reminds me of those uh, videos you see where certain politicians are going to bat for the coal miners and they'll have a coal miner get up there and talk about, this is what we do in Kentucky and this is our livelihood, you know, and it's like the coal mine shuts down, whether it's automation and technology or just government regulation or anything that could come in and disrupt that. What do you do now? You know, you've been punching holes in a coal mine for 40 years and don't know how to do anything else. Chuck, I'll tell you this, you kind of spooked me a little bit because I'm an old field worker and my wife is a teacher. As I used to be, yes. <laughs> my, wife is, my wife is a teacher, right? So I'm going to go, after we listen to this, I'm going to be like, look, Chuck said buy a coffee shop and, and cash out. He said, no. <laughs> so we're well, going to get no, no, no. But here's the, here's the opposite end of that. If you're a creative thinker, a good educator who's got lots of years of experience in that or has lots of knowledge about that, we're moving to a self-education rather than a formal education model because of the technology. And so what I have become really excited about is people people have knowledge now. They have things that they've gone through where they started at a point A where they were struggling. And then maybe they even got to a lower point to where they reached that absolutely rock bottom place. But then they figured out along the way through the old hard knocks of life, they figured out a way to get to the other side of that. Because of what we have at our disposal these days with technology and people becoming um, people becoming more open to different ways of learning, that's a monetizable skill where you can create your own economy. Yeah, well, I feel better about that because my wife is actually uh, first semester into her master's degree in curriculum instruction and design. So maybe we'll be on the front side of that by well, chance. You, yeah, like you will. <laughs> you, you definitely will. Um, yeah. it, but you have, you have to think outside the box. That's you know? it. But I think that's what people don't think is they don't have um they don't they don't believe that what they know other people want to know they don't believe that they have anything that would help somebody solve a problem mm-hmm. and they they don't realize that that is a that is a monetizable skill that you can not only make very very good money at um if you create ways for people to learn what you know but you'll also be much more fulfilled because you're going to be doing something that you're passionate about because you've spent a lot of time learning about that. And I'm not just talking about necessarily ways to make money or, or ways. I'm talking about you could be passionate about fishing. You could start a fishing channel on YouTube yeah. and you could be sponsored for that fishing channel on YouTube. Or you can create, you know, you could create a course or curriculum or checklist and all you know, the, the things that I have used to become good at fishing over the years, there are countless ways or cooking or crafts. I mean, my wife is obsessed with crafts. So one of the things she does is she watches lots of how to's on YouTube. And once these people create enough content and they get big enough audiences, they can go to brands and they can say, 
you know, will you, you know, this, this craft minute or whatever brought to you by, and you can do those types of things. And that's what I'm talking about, creating your own economy and diversifying from needing somebody else's, you know, needing somebody else to, um, you know, to, to, um, to support you basically. Um, Because I just, and it's going to be so much more common what I have gone through while for my generation, it's not necessarily that common. Um, but for future generations, mm-hmm. staying in jobs for only a couple of years or having those, I mean, you know, there are kids right now that are going to college and they are studying things and getting degrees that are going to be completely obsolete in five years. Yeah. And they, they won't be able to find sustainable employment because that industry will have completely been, you know, either eliminated or, or largely automated. Yeah, and no, again, I, it has it, it has no there's no bearing on whether or not oh that's gonna that's gonna affect Nick and his family negatively. They don't care. The bottom line for them is the money, and if they can be more profitable by employing less people or getting rid of more people, they're going to do that. Again, it's it's all about build the well before you need the water, and that's where I think people don't have enough foresight, and they always think oh things are always going to stay the same, yeah. but they're not. Yeah, and, you know no. they're changing it such a, a and what to 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 really understand this is like you know this whole self-education industry it's 300 million dollars a day now it's it's on its way to becoming a billion dollar a day industry and it's the people that get creative and figure out okay what do i know how can i present what i know in a consumable and digestible format and realize that there are thousands of people out there that would love to know what you know, either through time or through delving specifically into a subject. Mm-hmm. There's things that you know that, um, that people would love to know. You've gotten from point A and it doesn't matter what it is. And even if you're only six months ahead of somebody else, there are people that will pay for that knowledge and pay for that expertise, whether mm-hmm. it's, and, taking people through the process because I'm because I'm new to this this whole game I've only really been in this space for a couple of years but I realize because I have delved into you know into a couple of specific subjects not to brag but this is just the the way that it works if you've spent five five years even on a part-time basis studying something you know more than 95 percent of the population about that subject Mm-hmm. That's how we get experts, not people that are smarter than other people. They've just spent more time studying a certain subject. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that's a hobby or whether that's something you do for a living, you can always break out. One of the things in your industry you see people do after they spend so much time in the industry, they go out and become a consultant. Right. And then people hire them. Yeah. And then you get to set your own rates and you get to determine your own value and you get to determine your own priorities because mm-hmm. somebody is hiring you for the experience that you have. Some of those and guys make like $1,500 a day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. But they took it. They took a chance. Yeah. They gave up that steady paycheck and that security for opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what more people are going to be. They're going to be forced to do in the future mm-hmm. by the fact that, Technology is is going to vast, you know. Now here's one that I didn't even think about. Pharmaceutical reps 
again, because, and this is because of, med, med, um, because of medical advances that are coming. And I'm not, I'm not, this is not my orig original idea. I didn't come up with this, but again, I listened to some, several futurist podcasts. We're on the verge of having prescriptions for each individual human being based on their, on their, bi on their bio. So if we have prescriptions for each individual human, why do we need pharmaceutical reps to push mass drugs to hospitals and doctors? If each individual person will have their own specifically customized medication to fit their, their medical needs, mm -hmm. we're not, you know, as, as we get more, as we get higher, um, as we get, um, what am I saying? Faster paced um, transportation, you know, cars that can, you know, that, that fly or cars that can drive safely, you know, 3000 miles in a couple of hours or something like that. Um, people will be able to live farther from where they, they currently work. You know, if they're not already doing the remote work thing, they'll be able to live farther from where they, they, uh, they currently work. So, you're going to need less local realtors, for example, because, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, I mean, if, if commutes are no longer, you know, if an, if an eight or 12 hour commute is now reduced to less than an hour and, and so much of that commute is going to be automated in the future, then you're going to need less local people, you know, and these are just, this is like wide ranging, huge outside the box thinking that, that people that are far smarter than me have already thought of. And you just, but you can think of that as a terrifying reality that's going to affect you. Or you can think of that as a, is the ability for you to come up with some ideas, how you can capitalize on that to make other people's lives better. So let's so. talk about, let's talk about the ideas before we wind it down here. You sure. said, dig the well before you need the water. Chuck, let's get into what you're doing. And uh, you know you broke from the matrix and got into digital marketing and all that. What are what what well have you dug for yourself, and what does that look like? Well, for me, I think it's taking all my experiences, and, and this is what I want to encourage people because people's big thing when when they think about doing something, you know, whether it's producing content or whether it's developing courses or it's uh, developing services that they want to offer to people. People think that they don't have anything to, to offer the marketplace. Um, and there is a market for each individual. I won't appeal to everybody. And that's, that's the other thing people need to realize. 80% of the market, anytime you introduce an idea to the market, 80% of the market doesn't care about that idea. 20% of people could care if you give them enough education to see how it will personally impact them. And 5% of people, almost any idea in the marketplace, unless it's just a horrible idea in the marketplace outright rejects it, 5% of people are ready to plunk down their credit card and hand you money for that idea right now. Yeah. Um, and we're no longer in geographic economies. You know, it's funny, I, I, get, on, um, I get on personal discovery calls um, and just due to the nature of the way social media works and the content, I mean, the majority of the co the conversations I've had are people in um, African countries lately, and they're yeah, they're looking for opportunities. 
um, because you think there's there's employment problems and there's you know there's job problems here. Um, you, you go to, again to third world countries where those opportunities just don't exist, and so people are looking for ways that they can they can monetize knowledge, and that's a that's overall what I'm I'm just interested in helping people realize you can monetize your knowledge, right. um, and so. The biggest way that, that I've been able to do it um, is, is digital products mm-hmm. and offering digital products to people. And, you know, I've kind of started in marketing because that's the thing. And that's the other thing. The more you study a subject, the more, the more qualified you become to teach that subject to other people. So that's why that's one of the reasons I've become so obsessed with learning over the last couple of years is the more you learn, the more you can teach other people. And even if you're only six months ahead of them in the journey, it's okay. There's still a market out there. In fact, most studies will tell you people would rather learn from somebody who's six months, maybe at the outside, two years ahead of somebody else in an industry uh, because they can relate to those people. Mm -hmm. They're closer to the beginning. They're yes. closer to realizing and understanding the pain of the person who's jumping in at, at the at the neophyte or the newbie level. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's why I think um, that's why I think I can I can still do that because um, I'm still on the even though I've I've begun building my own economy five years ago, it really hasn't really hasn't taken off the way that I wanted it to for the last couple of years. And so, yes, it will take persistence. But um, I heard um, there's a there's a YouTube video that I listen to every single day, and um, and it's Earl Nightingale, and he's talking about the strangest secret in the world, and I encourage people to listen to that every single day. Um, I'm gonna shut the door here so the dog can't get in again. Mm-hmm. But I encourage people to to listen to that because if you want to if you want to understand that what you do, what you accomplish, who you become. It's not where you are now. It's not the struggles that you have been through. It's not your intelligence level. It's, it's not what you do for a living. It's, there's none of those external factors have any control long-term over who you are and what, and what you become. You know, it's, it's all, you know, it all starts with your attitude and, and realizing that the most accomplished people are the most humble people. They're constantly learning. And um, the, the more time you spend learning, the more valuable a human you, being you become. And I don't ever pretend that I'm in any kind of an expert. People are still seeing me at the beginning of my journey. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think more than anything, I just want to let people know that it doesn't matter where you start, just get started. You know, and just uh, and these things aren't taught. They aren't taught in schools. Nobody, nobody teach you. Nobody teaches you that, it, you know, your attitude and your mindset is 90 percent of success. Mm-hmm. Nobody teaches you that failure is a normal part, um, because most of the time you're just passing classes and you're getting through. And that seems to be the norm for most people that go through educational curriculum. OK, that's. They're not taught how to fail. They're not taught how to deal with failure. They're, they're not taught how to 
divorce themselves from the need to be uh, um, accepted by other people. They're not taught how to think for themselves. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a line in that video that, that I become ultra obsessed with because every time I know that I fail and then I get back up and I continue on the path, I know I'm doing something that 95% of people won't do. And that is, um, that is, that is be persistent and learn that failure is part of the process. But it says um, the opposite of cowardice is not, um, is not bravery, it's conformity. Yeah. Or, yeah. or wait, maybe I said, maybe I said that the, uh, yeah, but cow, it's, it's not, people aren't afraid they're afraid, they're afraid to be unlike other people right? because yeah. they feel that need to be accepted. And one thing that I have learned is the older you get, the less, the less you care about what other people think, but mm -hmm. I want to, I want to help people on that early end of the Gen X cycle realize that, um, it's okay. It's okay to do what's not accepted. It's okay to divorce you because that's, that's true freedom is, is not caring about what other people think and doing about what makes you happy. Yeah. And, I like it. You yeah, know, no, I like it, bro. Um, this has been really good, man. Um, of course, you know, just based on what we went through a few minutes ago that I'm running up against that wonderful zoom clock again, Sure, Abby, but, um, before I let you go, man, I just wanted to let people know if they're interested in just sniffing around a little bit on what yeah. the whole, uh, this, this, uh, you know, independent, eco independent economy, freedom economy, digital products, digital marketing for products that they may have already, you know, like there's a lady that I know that, um, makes these, uh, out of two, out of pallets, bro. And they paint them and they, and they started silly, like put American flags on the pallet. It's just wooden pallets and paint. But she does such go. a good job with them. And she started posting them on TikTok and people are buying them up. When I was talking to her husband, he's like, dude, some weeks she does better than I. And he works in the oil field, you know. So people need to get their products out there through digital For marketing, sure. all that stuff. And so again, the reason they don't is they don't believe that there's a market for what they do. They don't believe there's an interest yeah. in what they do. But what I have found is that people are so worried about everybody accepting what they bring to the marketplace and mm -hmm. you can do very well for yourself. You can, you can live a very good life with just that 5% of people that I talked about, you know, yeah. if, and everything in life is a funnel, you know, um, it's like most people around here, they, they grew up hunting. I didn't grow up hunting, so I don't really have an affinity for it. I'm, I'm not all that excited about it. But obviously there are whole industries. And so most people in Florida are that way, you know, because it's, it's, mm. there are many more big cities and, and all that stuff. So, but there are entire industries that generate billions upon billions upon billions of dollars because there's a, there's a marketplace out there for that, you know, doesn't appeal to me, but that doesn't mean there's not a marketplace. Right. So it's, you know, it's, and that that just comes from and it's so much more possible today because we live in a marketplace that is literally seven billion people all over the globe because what you and i are talking to on right now is a way to share what you do with the world and you know you i think you found me through tiktok and that's that's kind of become my my main channel these days because 
because of the organic reach that it has. Um, but it's, there's, there's a marketplace for almost every good idea out there. And even if it's, you know, even if it's something that is as simple as like what she did with those pallets, you know, it's every idea starts small, but once you find an idea that works on a small scale, all you have to, uh, or on a small, you know, on a small level, all you have to do is scale that idea. And then you have built something that's, that's really amazing and, and tremendous. So. No, it's good, man. Um, let us know how people can connect with you, bro. Or get a hold. Amen. All right, Chuck, forgive the glitches. That's all on my end, but um, let us know how people can connect with you and kind of check out your social media platform and your sites and stuff. If they're interested in, uh, you know, uh, digital marketing or, you know, bringing products online and stuff like that. How can we reach you? So the, uh, the three main ways that people can reach me is uh, number one is, is TikTok. Um, they can find me at the Chuck Ellis on TikTok. They can find me at the Chuck Ellis on Instagram and they can find me at the Chuck Ellis on Facebook. So uh, I've tried to make that as unified as I, as I possibly can. Um, I also do have a website called uh, escapethecageearly.com. They can go there as well and they can connect with me there. Um, so yeah, those are the ways that, that they can find me. Awesome. I've also got yeah. a YouTube channel, which is also called escapethecageearly.com. So. Okay, cool, man. Awesome. Well, this has been a really good conversation, brother. I appreciate you coming on on Sunday and uh, sharing your time and stuff. It's been inspirational for me and I know the audience will get good stuff out of it as well. And uh, maybe we have you come back, come back on down the road and we'll go over. I some hope so. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. I hope somebody's gotten something out of it. It's just, you know, the, the big thing is there is hope for the future. Um, and you can, you can be, and be, you can be and do anything that you want to. If you realize, if you start with the premise that I can learn what I need to learn to do what I want to do and be what I want to be, then if you start with that premise that I can learn, because we're only like you and I were talking when we were just off air real quick. Um, only 40% of who we are is hardwired in DNA. The other 60% is completely malleable. So if you change the information that you take in and you change the environment in which you find yourself, you can reach your fullest potential. And I think that's where people live the happiest is when they're becoming the best version of themselves that they possibly can. Awesome. Good stuff, brother. Cool. Well, I'll let you get back and, to uh, today. Yes, one sir. last thing. Happy Mother's yes, Day to your wife. Oh, I'll let her know. I uh, hope you guys yeah, have I was a good, a yeah, I was a good husband, man. There you go. Good flowers this morning. Yeah. Okay, cool, Chuck. I'll let you get to it, man. Thanks again for being on and we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Nick. It was an Have honor. I appreciate yep. it.